Hello, and welcome to our Secular Sponsor Speaker Series. Each week, we hear from an Overeaters Anonymous member who has obtained and maintained abstinence without God and has served as a sponsor to other members. The series also provides opportunities for secular OA members who don't have a sponsor or are interested in exposure to a variety of points of view to learn from the experiences of others. We encourage everyone to sponsor others up to the level of their own recovery or to use these tools with each other as peers. If you're willing to sponsor to work as a peer, please post a message at oasecularforum at gmail.com. For additional information about abstinence without God, go to secularovereaters.org. And now, let's hear from this week's Secular OA sponsor. My name is Arlene. I am a compulsive overeater. I am a grateful <laughs> compulsive overeater. Uh, that's another part of my story and sort of funny. Uh, I got dragged to my first meeting July 18th, 1999. So I've been doing this one day at a time for a string of days. And the reason I thought that we might do just five minutes of me speaking and 10 minutes of breakout is what I have to say is not as important as what goes on in our individual heads. So let me preface this by saying everything that comes is my opinion and is no more important than anyone else's opinion. It just happens to be mine. And I just happen to be the one tapped to speak on this. Uh, I'd rather do the two steps and two different days, but Jim has to do it in one and this go round. That's what we'll do. So the principle of step two, according to OA, is hope. But I always see it as balance. And there's eight pages in the 12 and 12 about it. For me, it's all on one little three by three post-it. So for me, it talks about true insanity and the fact that we keep trying to find comfort in excess food long after it began to cause us misery. Yeah, I, I get that one. It says that uh, we do self-examination and find that our lives are out of balance. The word balance is used very often in this particular chapter. And that spoke to me. It says spirituality is not religious. I agree with that. The word spirit at its root means breath, something that every living thing on this planet shares. Uh, it says that uh, when we come in, we find welcome and we find recovery in the love of the group. It says, how have we as non-believers, we who might, might have been non-believers, came to believe in a higher power? Often we don't. That's their idea, but it may not always be our ideas. Uh, I get the group acceptance and love bit. That totally resonates. And, um, and then it goes on to ask two really important questions. What is it we need from a higher power. What would we like, if there was such a thing, what would we like it to be and to do in our lives? Those are real good questions. Um, I think most of us, this is in the chapter as well, most of us uh, needed to learn how to ask others for help. 
But what it doesn't say and what I say is we also needed to learn to be willing to receive help when we needed it. That we needed to recognize that there's another HP, a healing process that would help us let go of that compulsion. I don't think a process heals us. I think it gives us the support so that when we're ready, we can let go of it and that we can learn to bring stability into our unbalanced lives. That summarizes chapter two for me, step two. Um, it also uh, refers to the three-legged stool. And I came in and spent 10 years listening to other people talk about, you know, regular OA talk about uh, the process of physical, emotional, and spiritual and that three-legged stool resonated with me. But one of my dear friends in program says, hey, for me, there's only two legs. And that brought me up short. Two legs. Huh. How does one stay balanced on a two-legged seat? Well, the image that came into my mind was a bicycle. A lot of us know how to ride it. It only has two wheels. And with us in the seat, it stays balanced. And if you think about it, we're human beings with two legs. We easily stay balanced on two legs. So whether you believe in a three-legged stool or a two-legged or whatever, there is something that we can find in this program that will give us what we need. So my questions for the breakout room, what is it you trust? What is it you trust? And besides freedom from food obsession, what is it that you are seeking in your life? Besides freedom from food obsession, what is it that you are seeking in your life? All right, step three. The principle here is faith. But the way I look at this is trust. That's the principle I look at. And the chapter talks about a lot of things, higher power. But in here, it also talks about a source of wisdom inside us that becomes more powerful as we recover from compulsive eating. And it repeats it. It says an inner resource, an intuition. It talks a lot about how religious people use God when they face indecision. But for me, the important thing is that it says we pause. And this is my comment, not in the chapter. I accept that the discomfort of indecision will not cause the sky to fall. And that applies to my food as well. I can be starving or I can be nauseated at the approach of a meal. It doesn't matter. The sky is not going to fall just because of my feelings. And it does say that answers that we look for will come because we can ask for and accept help. And that's a theme that is repeated from step two. The idea of asking for and accepting help. It doesn't say the help has to be a deity. It can be our friends in program who've done this maybe for a little bit more time than we have, maybe for the same time as we have, and maybe even a newcomer who just walked in the room. You never know who's going to say something that resonates and gives you a clue. For me, step three is I relinquish my willfulness and I seek willingness. And I seek the willingness to do the next right thing. <laughs> that is it on my post-it. <laughs> I don't think it's even been five minutes, 
but I do have a couple of questions for the breakout room. Again, I think what is in your heads is way more important than what I can say. The only thing you need to know about my process is that it took me two trips through steps one, two, and three to get to an answer from me 20 years ago. So I was in program almost two years before I got an answer from me that completed step three and let me go on to do step four. And the question that was the key for me on step three, and that I'm going to suggest as one of the questions for the breakout, is when do you feel at peace? When do you feel at peace? And the other question I suggest is, how do you create the willingness to do the next right thing in your life? How do you create the willingness to do the next right thing in your life? That's it. I pass. So questions for Arlene. Uh, yeah, I'd like to know, what do you do to create willingness? I create willingness because I do not have a to-do list anymore. It's in my head, and I'm stuck with it. But at the end of every day, I have an accomplishments list. Mm-hmm. And when I am unwilling I think, well, there's not going to be anything on the accomplishments list. So what do I want to make sure is on that list? Well, what do you suggest for somebody who doesn't care whether they have any accomplishments? I I also deal with a chronic uh, um, injury. And I have rotten, rotten, rotten days. And on rotten, rotten, rotten days, the only things on my accomplishment list are that I've stayed abstinent, and that my toes are pointed in the right direction. I may not have made even a millimeter of discernible progress, but I know what my goals are. And on the really bad days, I have to accept that that's good enough. Thank you. This is one of my bad days too. So thank you very much. Arlene, I find peace very, very elusive. What benefit do you get from those times that you are at peace? Well, like I said, I deal with, um, I'll call it an insurmountable injury. It has, it has reshaped my life to an even greater extent than my food issues. It has taken away everything that I used to be. And Learning to accept that that basically um, I've been shipwrecked, I'm on the shore, I'm naked, sorry about that image, no tools, no anything, the ship is in splinters at the bottom of a deep sea, and somehow I have to find out a way to dive down, retrieve those splinters, create the glue, and get myself off that island. That's basically what we all deal with to some extent. So, you know, how how long are you content to sit on that sandy beach and get sunburned? And what is it you want for yourself in your life? I mean, we all like to sit on the beach occasionally. It's nice. But there are things that we crave as human beings. And working towards those things that we crave creates willingness in each of us. You know, maybe those wants are things that are deep in your childhood. When I grow up, I want to be. Or before I die, I'm going to. Or I'll be 
damned if I'm going to die a compulsive overeater. I just want one minute of freedom. So what is it we're willing to do to find that peace for ourselves that's not the peace of sitting still, but the peace of contentment because we've done for ourselves what we want for ourselves? That may be a convoluted answer, but it's the best I've got. Thanks. Catherine. Um, I just wanted to, to share my gratitude for some of the comments that have been made. I'm making an amends today and have been struggling with finding the willingness to do that next right thing. I often know that it's the right thing, but every once in a while, some character defect in me bubbles up and tells me that they should be doing something. And of course, I'm right, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, I just have made a couple of notes over the course of this meeting and particularly this last con um, comment about the contentment of doing for ourselves uh, what we want for ourselves, I find really peaceful and tying into that concept of um, um, not only creating the willingness to do the next right thing, but creating this peace and what we're seeking for ourselves. So thank you very much for tying these together and I, I appreciate that they've found me I uh, when I really needed them today. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Maura and I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, God, it's a while since I've talked in the meetings, I think, guys. I just wanted to say, Arlene, thank you very much for that. Because so it's not a question, but it's just um, I, I kind of found the questions baffling to start with. But I have to say. Um, it's been really powerful for me. I mean, kind of going through things like, what do I trust? And I'm kind of thinking, you know, trust really isn't an issue for me. I've kind of long since thought I'll trust other people or, or, or a process or whatever. And, you know, and if they do something that disrupts that trust, then, you know, I'll, I'll kind of cor correct the kind of path from there. But it actually just took a moment for me to realise that, that when it comes to compulsive overeating, the one person I don't trust is myself. And so I've had some horrible moments of realisation today, um, all of which were very valuable. And thank you very much for that. I'll pass. Thank you for the feedback. Cool. Arlene? Somebody asked in the chat if I can put my post-it stuff in text. Uh, I'll post it to the OA Secular Forum in the next day or so. Uh, give, me, give me a few hours to type it clearly because these are my scribbled notes and I'll put them in logical English. Arlene, you had a question you wanted to just put out to people? And... Yeah, in, in uh, step two, it says that um, we found the, the power greater than ourselves in the love of the group. And it says, and this is also step two, we found it in our sponsors who listened to our problems, shared our tears and laughter, guided us in recovery as they helped us apply OA principles in our lives. And again, that's all in step two. So, you know, this, this whole workshop series that Jim started is how do we create in ourselves the willingness to be sponsors? And this is in, in all of, in pretty much everything in the essays in the 12 and 12, 
this is pretty much the only thing that really talks about sponsorship itself. So, you know, it, it doesn't say that we have to be perfect people to be sponsors. It's basically saying that as a sponsor, we are witnesses, honest witnesses to each other, that we share with each other. And for me, what's implied in all of this is that we're like an honest mirror, not the funhouse mirror that we all see when we look at ourselves and our body dysmorphism. But as a sponsor, we honestly listen to those around us and accept what they're saying, or in some rare occasions, call them on their BS. Hey, you said this to me yesterday and you're saying that to me today. So what step two has inherent in it is what is our definition of sponsorship? When, what would it take for each of us to be ready to sponsor? Because that's what this whole workshop series is all about. What will it take for each of us to be willing to step up and be a link to the next person who needs help? So if you want a homework question, um, perhaps that's, that's a good one to look at. When is, if you're not already a sponsor, what is it that you need to step up and be an accountability buddy or a sponsor for someone else? Pass. And just for kind of truth and advertising, I didn't, this is not entirely uh, a recruit you to be a sponsor, a sponsor, that'd be great. But to learn enough of the, some of the skills and the things that sponsors do so that you can do it, well, to get the benefit, frankly, of people like Arlene who've been around for a while uh, and are sponsoring, but also that you hear things that you can use either yourself with somebody else, you can pair up as accountability buddies or co-sponsors or basically to expand the horizon a little bit of what, you know, being there for each other might mean in addition to sponsor and sponsee. But I think it's wonderful. I just found out that somebody is sponsoring people that I didn't know was sponsoring people. And it certainly is a good thing. It's a good byproduct. So any other questions? We've got a couple of minutes. Kathleen. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether this is relevant or not. I almost didn't come to the meeting today because I've been in a lot of pain for weeks and I've been very depressed and I didn't feel like I had anything positive to offer. Uh, I'm glad I did because during the breakout, I think I was able to answer a few questions. But I have never really followed the program thoroughly. I don't really have anything I would call abstinence. So I've never felt it was appropriate for me to offer myself as a sponsor, even though I've been in the program long enough to answer a lot of questions. So what is your feeling about somebody like me? Um, I, I think I'm reasonably okay with newcomers, but I wouldn't be very good about details of following steps. Okay. The first time I sponsored, it's because I said something in a meeting and somebody came up to me and said, would you sponsor me? And she was in program way longer than me. 
and she was having difficulty and she heard me say something that helped her. And I didn't think I was capable of helping anybody, but I asked her what she needed. And it turns out what she needed was something I could offer. So if you are telling us that you are willing to help somebody else, perhaps start as a newcomer greeter. Um, perhaps say, look, I, I don't have, I have this amount of abstinence and I am willing to help whoever would like my help. And then whoever asks, you know, if you're willing to say yes, give it a go. It's never set in stone. Okay, thank you. I'll think about that one. That makes some sense to me. Thank you. Um, this is Vinnie T. Uh, I was just, you know, um, thinking that Outreach is is a form of sponsorship in itself. I mean, I I I started to sponsor, you know, um, when I realized that I was getting so much from the people that I talked to in outreach, you know, and and especially I was amazed by people who called me out of the blue um, because they heard something I said, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> and but it out that you know talking with them um i did have something to share with them that was good you know meaningful to them and and i got so much joy out of it you know so and that's that's really it the joy of working with people that on you know that we understand and they understand us and and that we can we can be helpful to uh because being helpful is really such a, a gift um it back to me. Um, um, it, it's something I never anticipated. I pass. Thank you for joining us today. To hear recordings of other speakers in this series, visit secularovereaters.org. And while you are there, please consider making a donation to support our work.